You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. Many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000, Acts 4, 4 says. And then Acts 5, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Further down the road in Acts 13, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Acts 16, so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Acts 19 says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. You see this over and over and over throughout scripture. Luke, his primary concern is the spread of the gospel. This ragtag group of believers, Christ followers, who were led by uh, fishermen and tax collectors and zealots were, were being filled by the Holy Spirit and leading this church and they were experiencing exponential growth. Believers were being multiplied day by day. They weren't just being added to, they were being multiplied and the gospel was going forth. They were in the middle of a, of a movement that was rapidly catching fire. And, and this growth that the church experienced during this time actually brought about some tension. This growth brought about some tension. The interesting thing about growth, it means change, right? Growth means change, and we don't like change. Most of us, I heard someone say once that most of us think that we're only going to have to change once. We're only going to have to change once in life. And we make that change. We, man, we, we get up the courage and we humble ourselves and we make that decision to change. And we think, oh, good, it's over. We only think change is going to happen once. But the nature of life is change. The nature of life is to adapt and change. And if we're not changing, then we're dying. And all of us, I believe in here, want to grow, right? All of us want to grow in our faith. That's why we're here. We're receiving the word. That's why you're involved in life groups. That's why you follow Jesus, is you want to grow. But what I see is that most of us are only concerned about growth until we have to change. We all like the idea until we have to change. There is an all-star power forward by the name of Anthony Davis, 6'11", all-star power forward. He's the guy that rocks the unibrow. He's brought it back into style. And he is uh, an amazing, this guy's a beast. I actually got an opportunity with some friends to go sit courtside and see Anthony Davis play. This guy is a beast. Um, But when he was in high school, He was 6'2". He was 6'2 in his sophomore year. And at that time, he had one scholarship offer from Cleveland State University, okay? But between his sophomore year and his senior year, he grew from 6'2 to 6'10". He grew eight inches in 18 months, I mean, you think about that. Now, this was obviously a huge help to him in his basketball career. It brought all kinds of scholarships in. He went from having one scholarship opportunity at Cleveland State University to being the number one player, high school player in the country, okay? And while that was fantastic, it caused all kinds of problems 
for his family, for instance, his mom and dad, can you imagine? I mean, they were buying clothes constantly trying to keep up with his growth. He was a, he was a 6'2 guard, and so he, his biggest heroes were, were little guys. And he went from being a little guy guard to having to learn a complete new position to learn how to block, rebound, and post up. And, and his, his heroes went from little men to, to big men. He experienced all kinds of change just within those 18 months. And so the change was helpful. The change was good. It obviously catapulted him into a career in the NBA, but it did come with its set of challenges. Acts, this book that we've been looking for the past five chapters or so, has been the story of growth. Not just growth in, in an individual, but these, these folks have been growing deeper, and, and the church has been growing wider, and the people have been growing closer. They've grown in all kinds of different directions. directions. But in Acts 6, it starts to unravel a little bit. There's some tension in the midst of this growth. And this passage that we're going to look at today describes the blessings and the challenges that come with this kind of growth. Interestingly enough, the, the, the passage that we're looking at today begins with a statement on growth. And it ends with a statement on growth. But between those two passages was a huge problem that the church had to address. And if they didn't address it, it was going to cause even more problems and maybe even threaten the vitality and the future growth of the church. And so we're going we're gonna to look at Acts 6, 1 through 7 today, uh, because this is a problem that not only faced the church in these times, but it's a, it's a problem that the church faces even today, a, a problem that our church faces, a problem that every church in the country faces. And it illustrates a principle that we're going to look at, which is gospel growth always brings blessing, it brings problems, and it brings opportunities. And that's true for you as an individual. When you're growing in the gospel, it's going to bring all kinds of blessings into your life. But it's also going to create challenges within you, struggles that you're going to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, going to have to overcome or face. And all of those challenges... All of those struggles are opportunities that we can either embrace or reject. And so it's true for the individual, but it's also true for the church. We all want the church to grow, but we respond to it in different ways, right? Some people respond and celebrate the growth in a church as it expands numerically, They embrace it because this is what their ministries are praying for, more and more and more people, but others react negatively when the church begins to grow, when there's less faces that they know, and things change within programs and ministries, and it becomes less and less familiar, and soon what happens is we start to to reminisce and think back on the good old days when we knew everybody, and when they all were just like us, and we were doing all of the things that we love to do, And soon we begin sabotaging the very growth that we're praying for because we have a negative reaction to it. 
and our growth goes right back down and we end up right in the place where we started. So there's two ways we can respond to these. We can respond to it negatively or we can embrace it as an opportunity for us to grow. This passage here in the book of Acts helps us to understand how this church responded to the challenge of growth in a God-glorifying way. So I want to read it with you here. This is Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to the duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus, and Nicanor and Timon, or I like to say Timon, like the Lion King, (laughs) and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte. Oh, was was that there twice? These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And then it says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So this is our scripture that we're looking at today. And from the very beginning, if you notice, we discover a complaint. Now, isn't it nice to know that we don't have to deal with these kinds of things in the modern day church, right? I mean, the Bible is relevant, but at least this doesn't apply to Cypher Christian Church, right? Wrong. The, the, the scripture translates this in, in, in several different ways. Your, your translation may say that they were grumbling or that there were rumblings of discontent, okay? So let me, let me explain to you what's happening here in, in this scripture, In biblical times, when a woman lost her husband and became a widow, it was was a social and an economic death, really. It had more implications than just losing the loved one. Now, some of you in here have experienced this, and you know how, how it changes your life and what a devastating loss it is. But on top of that, in these times... Um, these women experienced a social and economic death as well. In a patriarchal society based on the, the men, this, this death was, was not only the loss of a loved one, but it was also sort of a cultural death as well. If this woman had no means to provide for herself, she would often be forced to the margins of society. Many of these women were in extreme poverty. And if she didn't have any children to care for the land that she, she owned with her husband, then there was no way to provide for herself or pay off the debts that her husband had accumulated in his life. And so in that vulnerable state that she found herself in, she was a prime target for exploitation. And so scripture, actually God, God, God talks about widows specifically 
and how he loves them and wants us to care for him. He says in Psalm 68, 5, he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, as God in his holy dwelling. And later on in Psalms, we, 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 we're warned to care for and to defend and not to take advantage of these widows. And so God is very, very serious about that. And so here in this, this present context here in the book of Acts, um, these women were, uh, were maybe a, a, a large portion of this group, maybe a smaller portion of this group, but they were a very important portion of the early church, okay? And so what we find is that they're not actually being cared for. They're being neglected here in the scripture. And, and not only um, were the disciples sort of overlooking these widows, but complicating the matter was the fact that there was a language barrier in between them. The Hellenists were the Greek-speaking Jews who lived outside of Palestine. These were Jewish people who had moved out of Jerusalem and were living sort of in the, in the Greek trade areas and had adopted a, a more Gentile life, right? And so uh, they spoke almost fluent Greek. Now, the, the Hebrews, of course, were the Jews that were native to Palestine, okay? These were the folks who, who lived there and spoke Aramaic and were not fluent in Greek. And the leaders apparently unintentionally overlooked these Hellenist widows. It wasn't that they were doing it on purpose. They weren't ostracizing them. There was a language barrier, and so they didn't really even, even have all of the information. They didn't know that there were all of these needs, but they were being neglected in the daily distribution of the needs each day. So the church was growing in multitudes, the church was growing by leaps and bounds. You saw in those scriptures, if you can imagine how to keep up with that kind of growth. People during this time were being healed and transformed and daily God was adding to their number over and over and over again. And what else was being added? As these people were being added, more needs were being added. And there wasn't a way to keep up with all of this stuff. There wasn't a way to keep up with all of the, the needs that were happening there in the church. And the situation had become so difficult, apparently, that the apostles, the leaders there, didn't exactly know what to do about it. And so they called everyone together, and they called upon their, their Greek-speaking community to help them appoint seven leaders to address the needs there in the church. The worship life of the church was beginning to suffer they were devoted to, and one of the primary responsibilities that they had was to be preaching and praying for the people, and those, those duties were starting to get neglected, and so they knew they had to appoint someone to do it, and if they didn't address this issue soon, it was going to maybe derail the mission of the early church or even split the early church, and if you can imagine what the book of Acts would look like within the first six chapters if there had been a split. And so they gather everyone together. They realize that they can't meet the needs. And it's not that they were above meeting the needs. We can easily sort of look at it with a jaded lens and say, well, these guys thought that they were too good 
to help these widows. And I don't believe that. I don't believe that because that's not congruent with the rest of scripture. I believe that they, they were probably really satisfied by helping these widows. And when the church was small, apparently they were meeting them. But as the church began to grow, they started neglecting them. Earlier on in the days, Peter would say, hey, you know what? I heard Esther is running low on milk, and so I'm going to run by the store and go pick some up and take it over to her place. But now, as they're growing and growing and growing, there wasn't a way that they could actually do that. So the apostles weren't above serving these widows. It's just that they couldn't actually meet all of the needs at the same time. And so they gather everyone together. They choose the seven folks to meet the needs, and they say, guys, okay, Here's, here's what needs to happen. We, we want to help these folks, but we can't. We can't cover all of this ground. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of us now, and so help us. And so what do they do? They give away the ministry. They give away the ministry of the widows to ordinary folks. And this is a absolute game changer for the early church. If you read the first few chapters of Acts, the apostles were the ones that were doing all the work. They were preaching. They were, they were giving out money. They were praying. They were helping with all of the needs. Peter and John are really the only apostles that are named in those first few chapters. These were the guys who were over all of these people. And so they had to give away the ministry. And this was an absolute game changer for the church. So they decide to share the work. And not only do they they help meet the needs, but they also help to realize the gifts that are within the community, within the people. And the Holy Spirit begins working in ordinary folks. No longer is it just in the hands of ordinary or or professional Christians. No longer is it it in the hands of the the professional folks, the, 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 uh, the office staff, right? Now it's in the hands of, of everyday folks filled with the spirit now delegated out and multiplied out to meet the needs of the folks. This is an absolute game changer for the early church. And God blesses these efforts. God blesses the efforts of of the people as, as they've gathered together in unity and harmony to meet these needs. The end of the passage in verse seven says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Even the Jewish priests were starting to notice what was happening in the early church. These were folks who had been against or hostile to the early church and now they're beginning to embrace Christ as their savior themselves and being added to the early church. And so Luke, in that, that, that little phrase right there, he celebrates the apostles' solution to this huge, huge problem and he blesses He blesses the church. The word of God continues to keep on spreading. The number of disciples of Jesus keep increasing. And in fact, the solution resulted in a breakthrough, and a breakthrough in evangelistic power. Priests who were being hostile to the faith were now accepting Jesus. The church had been tested. The church had been tested in this this trial, in this struggle, and they passed by caring for the widows and guarding the word. And God blesses their efforts because everyone saw this change 
as an opportunity to grow. An opportunity to grow. Check it out. So the Hellenists, those who made the complaint, right? Instead of complaining and whining, they trusted the solution of the apostles. You see that? They didn't continue with their grumbling. They embraced it. Those of the other party, the Hebrews, they recognized that the Hellenists, these folks had a legitimate concern. And they trusted the apostles, the solution of the apostles. The seven chosen men that the community brought forth and selected, they accepted this call to an unglamorous service, okay? This, This word that that they use for the daily distribution is the word diakonia, which is the word that we get deacons from, okay? Um, It means a server or literally a waiter, a person who waits tables. And many see this passage as sort of the proto-deacon passage. They didn't actually, you know, create the office of deacon, but this is where it all began. But here's the thing, guys. I don't want you to think that this passage is just about deacons. And just for the deacons in this room, this passage is about a church full of hearts, of servants. And so these, these seven men accepted this somewhat unglamorous role and position. And not only did they help meet the needs of the widows, but they also began to meet all of the other practical needs of the people there that were gathered together. The apostles, they responded as an opportunity to grow. Can you imagine being criticized and and hearing the complaints? It's easy to get defensive, but they saw it too as a legitimate need. And they knew that their primary objective was the preaching and proclaiming of the gospel and prayer. And so they responded to meeting this need by appointing these other people so that they wouldn't distract themselves from their central task. And so Luke shows us in this passage of scripture here, the people of God, both servers of the word and servers of tables teamed up together in serving the Lord. And when the people of God are teamed up in the service of God, the word of God will spread. When the people of God are teamed up in the service of God, the word of God will spread. This was a church that acknowledged the need, recognized the need, and met the need. They didn't just continue to sort of watch it as they walked by. They got their hands dirty. They jumped in and they teamed up with the Holy Spirit in service and God blesses their efforts here. I want to challenge you here today. I want to challenge you this morning to step up and become involved in serving the Lord. I want to challenge you wherever you are, wherever you find yourself today. I know that there are many different ways of serving that aren't necessarily in the context of church. Many of you have 
organizations and, and roles and responsibilities that you have outside of this local body of believers. But if this is your church, and if this is where you get fed the word of God, then maybe consider today helping us serve that food. If this is where you are fed, maybe it's time to help prepare the food that is being served. That's what it it means to be a part of a local body. That's what it means to be a, a member really at CFCC. A member says, this is the place that I serve, not this is the place that I listen to sermons. Being a member means getting your hands dirty and jumping in and being part of, of service to the body in the way that Christ served us because we're compelled by his love. We're compelled by how he served us. Being a member of the body means being a part of addressing the needs in the church. We just recently bought a new refrigerator and it was a, it was a big purchase. Um, and I was a little disappointed to find that the refrigerator doesn't actually prepare the food for me with all the money that I spent on it. But it got me thinking. Appliances don't serve themselves. Okay? The refrigerator doesn't eat the food that it cools. A toaster doesn't eat the toast that it makes. A stove doesn't consume the food that it heats up on the stove. A microwave doesn't digest the food that it radiates. Can openers, they don't eat what's inside the can. Appliances, appliances are there to serve somebody else, right? We benefit from their calling, if you will. And so God has assigned to you a divine purpose and your fulfillment of that purpose should result in the benefit to others. Every week, there are opportunities to serve here at Cypher Christian Church within the context of this church. All kinds of, of opportunities. There are opportunities with the welcome team greeting and being, creating a hospitable place for people to enter here and to find a home like you found a home. There are opportunities with the worship team. There are opportunities with the prayer team. There are opportunities to, to brew coffee and to, to, to create a, a, a family sort of comfortable space there in heavenly grounds. There are opportunities on the property and maintenance team. There were some guys out here just this past weekend spending an afternoon, a good portion of their afternoon, just making the landscape beautiful for our fall fest here today. There are opportunities to serve offering, to pass the, the baskets and to serve communion. Do you know that we have people in our church who actually bake the bread for the Lord's Supper, that bake it fresh? There are opportunities there. There are opportunities to impact our youth, our students in the student ministry. Man, you talk about making a, a huge impact in people's lives. 
what a good place to start. There are lots of opportunities in the student ministry. Wanda Hughes is here today, and her husband reminded me a long time ago, Jim Hughes reminded me that no matter how big a church gets, no matter how many people are coming and gathering together on a Sunday to Sunday basis in the, the sanctuary, in the worship center, there will always, always, always be needs in the children's ministry. There will always be needs there. Travis Wright has created a very clear strategy for reaching these little kids. And you talk about making an impact for the next generation. You, you, I mean, these little kids are eager to be here. They're eager to learn. And you know what? They're crazy and they're rambunctious, but we all too were when we were kids. And when you see a kid light up when they start to embrace the gospel, when they start to live out their faith in these tiny little ways in their life, man, it brings so much joy. And so there are lots of opportunities to participate in service here at SciFair Christian Church. We have a list on our website. If you go to SciFairChristian.org, we have a list. You go to, um, to um, Connect, I think, is the tab. And under that, it says Serve. And you can serve locally here within the church. There's a whole list. So you can go and you can look at that. Or you know what? You can call up, call the office and say, Kevin, you know what? I looked at the list and I really didn't see a play. I don't know the gifts that I have. I don't know what I have to offer. And so help me out. God is not looking for your ability. God is just looking for your availability. Just make yourself available for the service of God to the people of God. And you know what? God's going to bless those efforts. The community is going to see. The community is going to be blessed by it. And it says here in in Acts 6 that the gospel will go forth and spread. God is not looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability today. And so maybe you don't feel qualified Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, you know what, I don't have a real good reputation. Um, I don't really feel mature in my faith. I'm not really walking in the ways of Jesus. I don't feel like I have really any, any wisdom to offer. And all I want to say to you here today is if that's true, and if you have thought that before, what are you doing to grow? Because a lot of us just sort of say that and, and believe that, but we don't actually do anything about growing in our faith. And if you want to grow, you're going to have to see this opportunity, see this, this challenge as an opportunity. You're going to have to see this, this difficulty facing that reality as an opportunity to change and to embrace it in your life and begin to grow. God's going to bless that effort. God is going to bless that effort in you. I promise you. We all want to make a difference for Christ. And if we really do that, we will grow and growth means change for us. And it means we're going to have to deal with new problems and new threats to our mission, both individually, both personally and corporately as a church. And so are you willing to deal with the uncomfortable realities of growth? Are you willing to deal with that in your personal life and in the church life?
And are you, the people of God, willing to team up in the service of God so that the word of God will spread? Amen? Amen. We're going to move into communion here, and I'm going to ask the communion servers to come forward, the prayer partners to come forward, prepare their stations. We take communion each Sunday uh, with that fresh baked bread. Somebody in their home was baking it with their home, home ingredients there, putting it together and praying over this moment right here. It's not just something generic that is store-bought. It's created by hand and prayed over because this is a sacred moment. And we take communion by dipping the bread into the cup. And so the server will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Break off a piece and dip it into the cup. And then you can return to your seat. Our prayer partners are up here. They're available to you for prayer, to intercede on your behalf, to pray for the needs that you have. They're also available in the back as well. And they're gonna be available after the service. And if you have a decision to make this morning, I encourage you to go to one of those prayer partners, either during the service or after the service, and, and ask them uh, to pray for you. There's nothing that we want more than to, to celebrate a decision made for Christ, a person accepting Christ for the first time. But if you have a need, they're more than happy and eager to to pray for you or to pray for someone else. But as we enter into communion, I want to remind you of a passage of scripture in Acts, I'm sorry, not in Acts, in, in Matthew chapter 20. There's a story of the mother of the sons of Zebedee, who were James and John, Jesus' disciples. And she goes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, will you allow my sons to sit at your right hand and your left hand in glory? Will you allow that to happen? And Jesus actually sort of rebukes her and says, you don't know what you're asking. First of all, that's not up for me to decide. This is something that God is to appoint. But then he turns to his disciples and he says this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. These are the people who are, are leading and they lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. And it sa- he says this, he says, it shall not be so among you. Don't consider yourselves greater. This shouldn't be so among you. And then he says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as we approach the Lord's Supper here this morning and sort of consider the things that we've learned in Acts and applying them to your life. Remember that a life of service is the way of a disciple of Jesus. A life of service is part of the way. A disciple is one whose life is marked by self-sacrifice and service because that's the life that he lived. And so 
Let not obligation or guilt be the thing that compels you, but look to Jesus and let his sacrifice and his love and his attitude humbling himself, even though high and lifted up on a throne, humbling himself to earth, being born in a manger, having no place to lay his head, that the king of kings, the prince of peace who was high and lifted up would come to us and serve us. Let Jesus be the one who compels you into a life of service. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this scripture. And as we consider its ramifications on our life, Lord, we pray that you would give us a vision of Jesus, that we would see Jesus before us. And how he didn't just tell us to go serve, he came here to show us how to serve. Kneeling down, washing the disciples' feet. I mean, you can't think of a more lowly thing to do, and yet the King of Kings knelt down and washed our feet. And let, Lord, let that vision of Jesus be the thing that compels us when we see a need to meet a need. Not to see it as a, as a thing to reject or stiff arm, but to, to embrace change, to embrace growth, and see these things as an opportunity to grow. Lord, let Cypher Christian Church be a church that is full of the hearts of servants. Lord, we want to proclaim Jesus. We want the gospel to go forth. And so give us this attitude of servants. And may the world see us not as, not like the rest of the world, to turn everything upside down and to be curious as to why we love so strongly. And let the gospel go forth from this place. Out of these walls, into our neighborhoods, penetrate our workplace, out beyond the city limits, Lord, let the gospel go forth from this place. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come forward. Would you pray with me for our benediction as we go out? Loving God, we thank you for hearing our prayers, God. For feeding us with your word encouraging us in this meeting together today. Lord, take us and use us to love and to serve you and all peoples. In the power of your spirit and in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, so, Father, that the good news of Jesus may go forth from this place. This is our prayer, Lord. And we pray it together. All God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for coming this morning. Come back tonight for our fall fest at 4 p.m. Enjoy an evening of fellowship, beautiful weather. We'll see you then.